Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from that gospel reading from the 10th chapter of St. Matthew with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. The topic of persecution in the church today is a difficult one to speak frankly to, largely because our contemporary culture has completely lost its meaning. We are members of a world that loves to cry wolf at every perceived insult, inconvenience, or challenge to its convictions. This has resulted in what many have dubbed today a persecution complex. The idea that any and every difficulty that we experience is the result of some obscure other conspiring against us. And by us, I'm not just speaking exclusively to the church, but to any of the myriad affiliations to which we belong, be they political, economic, academic, or even athletic. The prospect of our failures or our shortcomings being the fault of some power foreign to ourselves is an enticing and seductive one because it lays their responsibility at the feet of somebody else. And so, as the modern saying goes, everyone has become a victim. But of course, if everyone is a victim, then no one is. And the whole concept of something as devastating as actual malicious persecution gets undermined and drowned out in the face of so many frivolous claims of maltreatment. This makes it difficult, then, for us to rightly understand what it was that Jesus was preparing his apostles for in Matthew chapter 10, when he warned them that the persecution they would experience for ministering in his name was coming. To help us better process what Jesus meant, we need to take a threefold approach to this gospel reading. First, we must diagnose what this aforementioned persecution actually means. Secondly, we need to discern from Jesus' teaching a faithful Christian response. And then thirdly, to find in God comfort and consolation by his plan to act on behalf of his persecuted church. So then to our first query, how does Jesus actually define persecution in his church? The answer, when left to itself, sounds rather disheartening. Jesus says, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you, that is all of you, will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Note first here that this persecution consists of open betrayal, of animosity and violence which is leveled specifically at the Christian for the express reason that they follow and worship Christ Jesus. 
So then, what Jesus does not say in this passage becomes equally important for us as we formulate our frame of reference. Persecution is not when someone merely disagrees with your worldview or your personal politics or even how you read the scriptures. Certainly, these things can, to varying degrees, make it difficult to minister to someone with whom you have so very little in common. But I tell you, persecution, they ain't. Jesus describes persecution as the church living in extremis. That is, on the very edge of death for the sake of her faith and her confession. When we ask our confirmands and our new members, when they come up for New Member Sunday, if, if they are willing to hold fast to their faith, even to the point of death, we are not speaking figuratively. We are literally asking if this is the gravity with which they hold to their faith. And so I ask you, dear brothers and sisters, would you, if it came down to it, confess Christ crucified as your Lord and Savior, even if it meant that you might be killed for it? And to be sure, we pray that we never experience that degree of persecution. And many, most of us even, likely will not. But if that were to happen, would you cling to those things of Christ which endure unto life everlasting? Would you hold to his promises, or would you waver? Would you yield? Would you cast aside your religion for an unsteady peace with a hostile world? Failing even that, would you compromise your confession to appease your family and friends who would belittle and forsake you because of your baptismal faith? Or would you rather stand firm, faithfully proclaiming to them in Christian love the whole counsel of the Holy Scriptures? For this, Jesus says, is precisely what you might expect. Not civil disagreements, not a difference of opinion, but hatred and animosity when what the Bible says is different from what the workplace, what academia, and even what society says. This, says Jesus, may very well be part and parcel with your life in the church. Faith in extremis, being ready to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. And so this brings us to point number two. In the face of such persecution, how is the Christian to respond? Perhaps you were surprised to hear Jesus mention nothing in this text of litigation of calling upon the law of the land to ensure that your persecutors must play fair. Such hope, Jesus says, is no hope at all. Your hope is not in the state. Nor, for that matter, does he urge you to clutch your pearls and to post all over social media how unfairly you are being treated. No pity partying, no cell phone recording expose, no GoFundMe. Instead, Jesus states, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, that is, identified him as Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? This is all to say, friends, that persecution of some kind is bound to happen. It will certainly happen. But when it does, simply shake it off and move on. Do not be surprised when those whose master is not God reject those things that God says. Your task as a disciple of Jesus is far too important to waste your time trying to argue laws and policies while the good news of forgiveness, life, and salvation in Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins goes unheard. Christ Jesus was persecuted, truly persecuted, persecuted to the point of death for his teaching. And so, you too may very well be. Regardless, witness him anyway. Acknowledge him before men, even as he now acknowledges you before your Father in heaven. Now here it's worth calling a little bit of a timeout. Because so far, this passage is throwing a lot of law at us, and much, if not all, of what I am saying to you from the comfort of my pulpit is going to be far, far easier said than done. Bravado is easy from the pulpit. In a room full of people who believe in the Bible. It's not so easy in the office or in the classroom or at the dinner table. We are frequently weak and trembling in these environments when God calls us to be bold and courageous. We would all just as soon much rather not experience persecution. And believe me when I tell you that your God knows this. And so he does not leave you with the command to be stalwart lest you lose your salvation. In fact, he says quite the opposite. For we must understand, last of all, that everything that empowers us to make this good confession before man has nothing to do with our own fortitude. Enduring to the end, as Jesus calls us to do, is not the result of how strong we are. Instead, Jesus would have us take our comfort and our consolation in the strength of our God who goes before us into battle against those persecuting forces of sin, death, and the devil. Against these foes, Christ Jesus has already emerged victorious. And so he now commends you, baptized into his name, even in affliction and, yes, persecution, be hopeful. For he who triumphed over death on Calvary's cross, he has promised to see you through your tribulation to his feast of victory without end. To that end, he concludes this seemingly dire teaching with a note of encouragement. Do not be afraid. Yes, your foes may kill the body, but your Lord and your God, he is judge over both body and soul, and he will prevail you. What's more, in Christ Jesus, he has judged you to be righteous and redeemed. He has pledged to preserve you body and soul for life everlasting in his kingdom. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Jesus says? And still, not one of them, not one, will fall to the ground apart from your father. But as for you, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That is how intimately your God knows you. That is how much he loves you. Fear not, therefore, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. Meaning that this same God who is in command of all things from the inner working of the cosmos all the way down to the flight of that little sparrow, he has called you his child. He has designated you to follow him in the way that leads to life everlasting. With him as your captain, know without doubt or fear that your outcome is secure. No persecution, no matter how desperate it may seem, could ever touch your salvation. Be strong, dear Christians, leaning not on your own might, but on the might of your Lord and God who is glorious in battle and strong to save. St. Paul, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, reminds us that our God acts as sentinel for his church on earth, not allowing us to suffer the assaults of the foe exposed and vulnerable, but instead armored with his gifts of grace which preserve us through all persecution and even in the face of death itself. These are the words you just sung in our hymn of the day, which St. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And so, dear friends, we believe, we teach, and we confess that, yes, even in extremis, this faith into which we are baptized sustains us to that day where death will give way to life. He who has promised this to you is faithful. He will surely do it. Therefore, stand, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, fortified by him who created you, by him who has breathed new life into you, by him who has called you to follow, and by him who has vowed to see you through to the end. Even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, Guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.